0: elders for the invitation to join you. It's always a joy to be able to participate in worship to our great God and King together. I was also grateful that when Pastor Lucas asked me to come, he did not ask me to pick up where he left off in the book of Revelation, so uh, (laughs) thankful for that. Um, although I'm sure it would have been a joy to study whatever the next passage in there is, but I know that he's doing a great job in leading you through that. Um, Thank you as well, since I have this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you for having released Pastor Lucas to have uh, traveled with me to Egypt last fall. It was a joy to be able to... have him alongside of me and to uh, sit under his teaching, even as he was involved in training pastors with us. And uh, uh, whether it be Ben or whether it be uh, uh, Pastor Lucas, I have room. Uh, in fact, I'm in the midst of scheduling seventy weeks of global training for 2024, and so pray for me, uh, because you may well be aware there's only 52 weeks in a year, which means that we need a lot of uh, we need a lot of uh, of pastors and teachers to engage with us in training the uh, 600 or so pastors that we have waiting for training next year. But uh, uh, this morning, however, we're here to open the word of God together. And so one more time, I would ask that you join me in bowing your heads and hearts as we ask uh, for the Lord to speak through his word. Oh, Father, we praise and thank you for surely you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has made yourself known to us. You have given us your Holy Word, you have not hidden yourself from us. And as we turn to it now, we pray that by your Spirit that you would instruct us, that you would indeed give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to receive, and that we would not simply be hearers of your Word, but doers also. So teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to admit that the older I get, it seems like the more forgetful I am becoming. Uh, It shows up in different areas. We all have those experiences of walking into a room and then wondering why we're there. Uh, but at other times, for example, I, I may be out and about, perhaps I'm coming back from a meeting, my phone will ring and uh, it's my wife and she says, hey, as you're passing by the store, could you stop off and pick up some bread and some milk, some eggs and, uh, 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 and a sack of potatoes? And uh, I say, yes, yes, of course. Uh, and, and so on my way home from the meeting, I'll pull into the store, I'll get into the store and I'll think, what am I here for again? And I'll go around and, 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 and okay, yes, I, I need this and I need this and I need this. And so I'll pick the things up. Uh, I'll arrive back home. I'll set them out on the kitchen counter. And invariably, my wife will come in and say, you forgot the bread. Oh, it can be kind of frustrating to forget. It's inconvenient because then you have to go back again. But to be honest, I don't think it's just the fact that I'm getting older and with that a little bit more forgetful because my 13-year-old son has a problem with forgetting as well. In fact, oftentimes I'll say to him, Ben, um, uh, I have to go out for a meeting now, but when I get back home, I I want you to have cleaned your room before you go out and play with your friends. And he'll say, yes, Dad, yes, I'll do that. And and so I'll go out for the day, uh, various different things that I have to do. I'll come back home, and I hear him playing outside. But when I walk past his open bedroom door, I find that it was just as much of a tip as it was when I left. And so I have to go downstairs. I have to go outside and say, Ben, come here a moment. Ben, I told you you needed to clean your room before you play with your friends oh dad, I forgot. Hmm, Seems to forget quite a lot. And that can be irritating because you see, sometimes when people forget, we then have to repeat ourselves over and over. There are times where Forgetting things can be frustrating, like when I forget things at the store or irritating when I've got to repeat instructions. But there are also times where forgetting can be kind of embarrassing. Like when you show up at church and you can't remember the name of the person that you see just about every week. And there can even be times where forgetting can be dangerous. Like if you're driving on I-90 and you've forgotten to buckle your seatbelt. Throughout life, there's all different ways in which we forget things, and whether it's a small thing or a big thing, it can be frustrating, it can be irritating, it can be embarrassing, it can be even dangerous, but what about in the Christian life? What difference does it make when we are forgetful? (laughs) I want to propose to you that what we're going to find together in the words of 2 Peter, the New Testament epistle of 2 Peter, is that forgetfulness in the Christian life can be very dangerous. But more than that, it can lead us to a place where we are ineffective and unfruitful in our walk with Christ. Now, I know for sure that every one of us wants to live the fruitful Christian life. But if forgetfulness is so dangerous, what is the remedy? How do we ensure that we guard against the danger of forgetting? Turn with me now to 2 Peter 1. And we're going to begin our time together this morning at the beginning of this second epistle of Peter. In fact, we're told right up front that uh, uh, that Simon Peter, or Simeon Peter, as it says here, is the author. He is, of course, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the guy who is very adept to putting his foot in his mouth. Some of us know that feeling. But now, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shortly before his own martyrdom for his faith in Christ Jesus. He writes, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want to stop there for a moment because I think that, that, that the way that he introduces this epistle, this letter that he's writing, is, is very important to our understanding of what comes next. And as he introduces himself, Simeon Peter, he, he refers to himself as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, but then he says something that is quite staggering when we think about it. He addresses his audience, and we don't know exactly who these are. Uh, as the Apostle Paul writes his epistles, he will frequently be writing to a, uh, believers in a specific location, in a specific church. Uh, this is sometimes referred to as one of the, the universal or the Catholic epistles, in that it is to to believers at large. But notice how he addresses them. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That's incredible. This is the great apostle Peter. Uh, This is the one who, who traveled with Jesus. This is the one who preached that Pentecost sermon. And he says, I am writing to you believers, I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal Standing with ours. See, one of the great dangers in the Christian life is that we can buy into this this lie, this false idea that there are kind of like super spiritual Christians, and then there's everybody else. There's first-class believers, and then there's, well, me. Uh, But here Peter says, no, uh, you have obtained a faith of equal standing, of equal position. There is no such, and, and for some of us, maybe this above everything else that we're going to look at this morning is what you need to be reminded of. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God does not look down on you as kind of the on-the-bench on the person. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't look at you as, as less than others. And so often we are prone to compare ourselves and then see how we measure up. And for many of us, we don't think we measure up at all. And he reminds us. And this is so important because what we're going to see in just a moment, it would be easy for us to say, well, that's true of others. It's just not true of me. And Peter starts here to remind us that what we are going to see is true of every one of us who are in Christ Jesus. And how come uh, he can say to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, he, 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 we, he can say that because he goes on to say, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, because if Today you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not because you are more impressive than someone else. It is not because you have performed more spiritual activities than any other. It's not because you've taken communion more times than another person. No. Every single person who is in Christ, is on equal standing in their faith. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about the righteousness of Jesus. And that's the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? Friend, if you're here today and you've never come to understand the wonderful invitation that Christ makes to salvation and to life, Let me tell you, it is not about you cleaning your life up first. It is not about you measuring up to some standard of righteousness, of morality. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we could never do for ourselves. God has done for us in sending his Son, who took our sin on himself who died in our place to pay our debt. And in doing that, in in bearing our sin, he gave us his righteousness so that the apostle Paul is able to say to the church in Corinth that he, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a glorious reminder. And so having addressed his readers, having addressed us and stated to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to begin to show us that in Christ we now have everything that we need. Verse 3 And so he 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 speaks now as he begins to unfold what it is that the Spirit of God has laid upon his heart to pen down for believers, for us, even here today. And he shows us that in Christ we have everything that we need, that because of uh, uh, his divine power, he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now as I travel to various different places around the world training pastors in different environments sadly one of the uh, one of the challenges that we face in many parts of the world is the so-called prosperity gospel that is no gospel at all and and, and they love coming to passages like this because uh, because they will jump into oh yeah uh, uh, god god gives us everything and, and in their mind, as they're saying, that, that, that means you get a Mercedes Benz and you get a Mercedes Benz and you get a Mercedes. No, it says not what this is talking about. That is to cheapen this glorious declaration, this glorious promise of Scripture. Rather, what he says is, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To life and godliness. And so what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's reminding us of the fact that there is no moment of your life, there is no situation you may face, there is no circumstance that we may find ourselves in the midst of that God has not made provision for us to live in a godly manner for the glory of Christ. Now, it's helpful if we consider for a moment this idea of life ungodliness. You see, if we go back a number of generations, people would often talk about uh, godliness. But it's not really a, an idea that we have uh, a, a, that is as common in our day to day. And so I, I think it's helpful to consider what godliness is by considering its contrast, which we might call worldliness. Uh, worldliness at its, at its root, at its essence, at its core, is when we allow the, the, the agendas, the priorities, the values, the perspectives of this world to be our pursuit, to be the thing that we chase after. It, it forms and shapes us. And if that's the case, then godliness is when we, when we allow the character of our God, the values, the priorities, the agenda of heaven to be the great pursuit of our life. There is a sense in which it is to reflect the very character of God. That's what it means to be godly. And he says uh, that, that through his divine power, God has granted to his people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that we need for life and godliness, to live a godly life, no matter where we may find ourselves, whether it is in our school, whether it is in our workplace, whether it is in a hospital room, or whether it is with unbelieving family members and we're struggling to know what to do. He's given us everything that we need and he's given it through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. He has called us to himself, and, and, and as, we, as we know him, that we discover uh, what he is like. If godliness is about reflecting the character of God, then it makes sense, right, that, that, that we grow in godliness in part as we learn to know him more. He's called us to his own glory and excellence by which, I love this, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. In fact, he, he, he speaks of two different aspects here. He says that through the knowledge of God, he has granted to us these precious And very great promises and for two things. One has to do with that which we look forward to, which is yet to come. And the other has to do with a living life in light of who we are now in Christ in these present days. Now the promises that he's speaking of here are are really all of the promises of Scripture. And, And I love the fact that he refers to them as being precious and very great. You see, the, the, more that we, the more that we lean on the promises of God, the more precious we discover them to be. And the promises that God makes to his people are great beyond compare. And we need them because as we seek to walk through the journey of this life, it can often feel like we face many situations where we don't know what to do where we feel like we're struggling. I want to live for Christ, but how can I do that? And it's been said that God's promises are the assurances he gives to his people so that we can walk by faith as we wait for him to work. They are the assurances he gives to his people so that we can keep on walking by faith as we wait for him to work. Because this, this journey of faith, this, this Christian walk, at times can feel overwhelming in the midst of this world. How do we keep going? We return again and again to his precious promises as we wait and, and, and he specifically identifies two aspects of this here. It, he, he says that through them, through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, that is, we, we've been talking about godliness and he's provided everything we need for life and godliness. He's talking here about our conformity to the likeness of Christ. And so uh, in in our walk with Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have been justified. That is, we have been declared righteous because of what Christ has done. We are being sanctified. That is, we are being progressively conformed to the likeness of Christ. And we look forward to that day where where Scripture says that we will be glorified, that we will be presented uh, before the presence of his glory with great joy, fully, complete, mature in him and so how do we keep on going by remembering the promise that we are not there yet but we are being molded and shaped after the image and likeness of Christ that he who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus these promises that he's given us are so that we can walk by faith as we wait for the fullness of the completion of our salvation. And he goes on to say, so that we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there's a sense in which he first of all points us forward. Keep on going, because the certainty of your conformity to the likeness of Christ is it's sure we have this certain hope, and keep on going, because even now we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world due to sinful desire um, but peter i don't feel like I've escaped from sinful desire, maybe i'm the only one here i don't know but uh, but do, do, do you ever do you ever get that sense of just how ever-present temptation is? Do you ever get exhausted because you feel like you're battling and waging war against sin again and again and again and it never lets up? In what sense can he say that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of simple desire? When we understand that because of the work of Christ, that the power of sin in the life of a believer is now broken. We are in Christ. We are a new creation. The power of sin. It, it, Romans chapter six tells us that sin shall no longer have mastery over us. We have dead. We have died to sin. It's also true that the penalty of sin has been paid. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, he took our debt, he he paid the, the, the debt that we owed and he died our death. But it's also true that we continue to live amidst the presence of sin and we look forward to that day when in the presence of God there will be no more death, there will be no more sickness. There'll be no more sin when God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, one of the things that I have come to find over my years of sitting with godly men and women who are facing great trials and difficulties and heartache in the Christian life is that sometimes we struggle with this issue of our identity in Christ. You see, uh, we might make a profession, we might say something like, well, I'm I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that's true, but that's not all of it. In fact, really, as you study through the New Testament, what we really see Spoken of those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ is that we are now holy and righteous and blameless in the sight of God. You see, here's the danger. If I identify myself as, well, I'm just kind of a sinner saved by grace, what do sinners do? They sin. And sometimes in the Christian life, we we kind of excuse ourselves in the midst of the battle or we think that the normal response for the Christian is to give in to that temptation because, well, that's just kind of, I'm just a sinner who needs the grace of Christ. Yes, we need the grace of Christ. But now we have a new identity. Now we are in Christ. As Peter puts it here, there is a sense in which we have escaped the corruption that is in this world due to sinful desire, or as the Apostle Paul talks about, the fact that we once were a slave to sin, but now we have been set free from our slavery to sin, and we are now slaves of Christ. And so we're reminded In Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. But he's not done yet. You see, since in Christ we have everything we need for life and godliness, we must keep growing in him. And that's precisely the point that he makes as he continues here in verse 5. For this very reason. For what reason? Since we have everything that we need for life and godliness... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's given us everything that we need. We must keep on growing in him. Now it's interesting the word he uses here. Is the word supplement. He says supplement your faith with these things. A couple of things that we notice from that. Well, first of all, uh, um, we're familiar with what supplements are. I travel a lot all over the world, and so I'm often feeling run down because I'm always in different time zones. So I take a supplement of vitamin C, and a, 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 like an airborne or something like that, in order to, in a sense, supercharge my immune system uh, to to help to strengthen it. And that's that same sort of idea here. Now, this is not saying that we need to add something to our faith in order to be saved, but rather this is pointing to the fact that we must not consider the Christian life as just about professing Jesus as Lord and then sitting back and waiting for heaven. Instead, there is to be a diligence, a growth in godliness, and he gives us this list, and notice that he repeats each of these, and so we really get this idea of like an unbroken chain, each link connected to each other. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Uh, we might uh, uh, describe that as moral Excellence with virtue, and to virtue with knowledge. And this knowledge is not just knowledge about Christ, not just knowledge about the gospel, but it is, in a sense, this experiential knowledge. That the more that we, the more that we uh, uh, lean on Him, the more that we uh, uh, experience His faithfulness, the more we come to know Him. The, depth of intimacy increases there. Make every effort to supplement your faith with with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. That is that we are no longer um, swept around by lusts and passions. but rather that there is a sobriety, there is an intentionality, there is a, uh, again, this, of course, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, but it, it's also not just something that is for a temporary period of time. It's like, oh, you know, I need to kind of get my, uh, my, my my passions under control a little bit here for self-control, because he goes on to say into self-control with steadfastness. There is this this ongoing growth, this continue, uh, this continued endurance in faithfulness and to steadfastness, godliness. so there it is again, there's this increasing reflecting the heart and the character of our Lord, and to godliness, brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. a lot of these you'll notice are internal attributes or qualities but how do we see that these things are growing and taking root in our life through brotherly love through brotherly affection and love and so as we are growing in these things they will become increasingly evident even within the context of our relationships first of all within the church and then even within the wider community Because he says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in Christ, we have everything that we need. So keep on growing in him. And don't forget what he's done for you. Because after saying, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and there's this intentionality, there's this continuation, there's this sense in which we are always pursuing growth in Christ. There is never a moment where we say, okay, I'm on vacation now, no more pursuit of Christ for a little while. There's not a a sense where we ever get to it and say, well, you know what, I'm I'm just kind of satisfied with where I am. There is this straining on, there is this diligence, there is this making every effort because we want to be those who are fruitful and effective. Who are fruitful and effective. But while he says if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then contrasts that with those who do not possess these in increasing measure. Because in verse 9 he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall for in this way you will be richly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so while it is wise, while it brings fruit, while it is, it is effective in our pursuit of Christ and the things that we do in, in, in our spiritual growth, when we are growing in him, knowing that he has provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness, it is foolish, fruitless, Ineffective and narrow sighted when we forget. When we forget. I started off by asking or by talking about the problem of forgetfulness within the Christian life. When we forget, what Christ has done, or as Peter puts it here, when we forget that we have been cleansed from our former sins. When the the wonder of our salvation loses its shimmer. When the importance of, of, of that coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in full acceptance of that which he has done for us, when it loses a sense of priority in our life we are in a dangerous and ineffective place. And how often we can buy into this false idea that we graduate beyond the gospel. That 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 our repentance and faith that are looking back at the cross. Well, that's how we begun the Christian life, but I don't need that anymore because now I'm a believer. It's ridiculous. It's unbiblical, and it is dangerous. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, never forget that from which you have been saved. Sometimes... It seems to me that the reason that we are unfruitful in the proclamation of the gospel is because we can sometimes be tempted to stand there telling others all about their sins and how wicked they are and how they need to repent, and we forget to do it with weeping. We forget to do it with tears because we forget from which we ourselves have been saved. In Christ, if you're in him today, know that he has not left you without provision. In him, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. So keep on growing in him. Don't forget what he's done for you. And as we remember this, as we walk in this, as we grow in these qualities, as we mature in Christ, reflecting his heart, his character before a watching world, There is a sense in which Peter says we are making our calling and election sure. What does he mean by that? It doesn't mean that we do something again to earn that, but we, and it says, bear witness to ourselves and to others of the genuineness of our faith. Because the fruit that we produce is the visible demonstration of of the work of God, the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And we will, uh, as, as we grow in godliness, in Christ-likeness, we can look forward to the reward of heaven with great joy. For those of you who were at the men's retreat back in the fall, I think I used this illustration then, and so forgive me for repeating myself. But the reality is that sometimes we meet people we've not seen for a long time. And sometimes as we meet them, as we bump into them, maybe as we're walking down the street or at the grocery store, uh, it, that, that interaction goes one of two ways. It either goes the direction of, um, wow, oh, it's so good to see you. I hardly recognize you. But you know, as I think of it, you, you, you haven't changed a bit, even though it's been, what, 10 years? You look good there's the other interaction it goes the other way where you bump into somebody and and are like it's, wow you've changed a lot sometimes that's for the better for most of us not so much right but there's a sense where in the Christian life as we are pursuing godliness when we recognize that in Christ we have everything we need So we should keep on growing in him, not forgetting what he has done for us, that we are making it our ambition to look as much like Christ now, so that on the streets of glory, when we bump into one another, people might say, wow, you're here too, (sighs) and then they might say, you look But you've hardly changed a bit because you look so much like Jesus all through your life. That's the kind of call that Peter is making. We have everything in Christ that we need for life and godliness. But rather than that be an excuse... For laziness. Keep growing in Him. And we do that when we don't forget what He's done for us. Because the more that we dwell on well, the splendor of Christ and all that He's done for us, the more we want to, to lean into Him, the more we want to grow in Him, the more we want our lives to reflect His grace and His compassion, His beauty, His holiness. I just want to end as Peter ends here as we consider then what we do with this. Verse 12, Peter writes, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's he saying? He's basically saying, you already know this. And like Peter, as I come here this morning, it was not my ambition to tell you things that you probably don't already know. But my prayer is that in some small way, we might stir one another up by way of reminder. Because we so easily forget. We so easily forget. I have a confession to make when my wife calls me and asks me to stop at the store and pick things up. Often she's saying what I'm to pick up while I'm on the phone, and I'm going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, dear, okay, Uh uh-huh. And when I get to the store, the issue is not so much that I've forgotten As it is that I wasn't really paying attention. There are some of us who come here week after week and we sit under phenomenal biblical teaching. And yet, we are paying attention to other things. We are not making notes. We're not following along. We walk out of these doors and we forget, but it's not so much that we forgot, it's the fact that we weren't really coming prepared and ready. Let me encourage you. Be careful. Pay attention that you might be reminded. Likewise, my son... When I ask him to do something, he says, oh, dad, I forgot. It's not that he forgot. It's that there are so many things in this world that are shiny, that seek to capture our attention. And again, when we walk out those doors, even if we've been paying diligent, careful attention as we walk out, if we are not careful, the affairs of the week the news radio the sports the whatever it is it it clamors for our attention and in a sense it drowns out the truth that we have been hearing and therefore what do we do remember what is the remedy to forgetfulness in the christian life it is to remember how are you building remembrance into your life. One of the things that we do as we gather together and it's so important to gather with the assembly of believers week after week because we need to remind one another. We take together from the table of communion and what do we do? We remind one another of what Christ has done but we need to look at our lives and the way that we spend our time, the things that we engage our mind with and ask the question, what am I doing on a regular basis, on a daily basis to again, remind myself lest I forget. We want to get into the word. We want to gather together with other believers and to remind one another by sharing with one another what we are learning what the Lord is teaching us. We want to fill our hearts and minds with truth. Sometimes that may be if you're out in the car and you, you put on uh, uh, um, some, some songs and hymns of praise to fill your minds again and again to remind yourself of the splendor of the gospel. We're all busy. And it's easy to forget So what will you do to keep remembering? Because in Christ, we have everything we need for life and godliness. So keep growing in him. And don't forget, don't ever forget what he has done for you. Our Father, We thank you for the glorious truth of this word. The reminder that you, our faithful God and King, have not called us to yourself and then left us to our own devices, but that you have faithfully made provision for us in every moment and every circumstance in every situation of life that we might bear the fruit of godliness. Lord, would you forgive us for our tendency to forget? Would you forgive us for allowing ourselves often to be distracted by lesser things and for growing at times lazy and contented in the stagnation of our walk with you. Lord, may we be those who supplement these qualities to our faith that we might be fruitful and effective in all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, should there be any here today who even as we have spoken of these things have never yet understood the glorious nature of your promises that are given through faith in Christ, I pray that this day, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to understanding and to surrender their lives in obedience to the one who has given his life for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.